Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Level Playing Field Podcast. LPF Pod is my podcast. My name is Randy Boos, where I chat with people who are LGBTQ and involved in sports. LPF Pod is a part of the Outsports Podcast Network. This week, I was excited to be joined by my first Crystal Palace player. I'm a huge Crystal Palace fan. They are an English football league team. This episode is with Chloe Morgan, who is one of the newest members of the women's team. Chloe is a very talented goalie. She was with the Tottenham Spurs when they battled to be promoted to the Women's Super League in England. She spent a few years there. She's now with Crystal Palace, and we talk about her first year. Before we get to that, though, we talk about her sexuality, and we also talk a lot about race. I had a great conversation with Chloe. I hope you enjoy our chat. Without further ado, though, here is this week's episode with Crystal Palace goalkeeper, Chloe Morgan. Chloe Morgan, thank you for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for for having me. So obviously I first heard about you pretty close to when you signed with Palace. And obviously, yep. I'm, a, I'm a Palace fan. I've talked about it on the podcast. And so we'll get to them in a little bit. But to begin, I want to just find out, were you... Or tell me a little bit about you finding the game of football and how you fell in love with it, how you decided to start playing and everything. Yeah, so I think the the love for the game came when I was about six or seven. Um, and I remember kind of just playing at school and um, just sort of having a kick about, mainly with the boys, really, at that time. There wasn't a lot of my... Um, friends at that age who really were interested sort of female friends who were interested in football at all and there was quite a lot of games being shown on the TV and and one of my kind of family friends uh, was a massive Man U fan so I remember watching the likes of um, Scholes and the Nevilles uh, you know Beckham and uh, Cantona Um, so that's kind of where my my passion for it came from really and then um, I started playing for Late Orient Academy when I was about 11 or 12 and then from then played a little bit at university, but it wasn't until I came back from, from uni that I, I started to play for, for Spurs. And and then um, the rest is history, really. They they kept getting promoted and we kept going up and up the leagues and um, obviously eventually found myself at, at um, professional level. So it's uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, really. Did it happen sort of fast for you? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um, when I came back from, from university, I wasn't necessarily taking football that seriously. I think at, at that time, my biggest focus was was on my my legal career, really, and just trying to find myself a, a job in, in that field. And at that time, football was something that I absolutely loved doing, but I never really saw it as, as a career that I would then go on to and, you know, and do full time. So it, it did come as a bit of a, a surprise. Um, but obviously, we sort of had a bit of um, expectation with every time that there was a promotion that would take place, there was this hope that, you know, we'd keep pushing forwards and, and get to a to a really good level. And then it just happened last year. So I've been I've been very fortunate really to be a bit to be a part of it when it's when it's been growing like like it has. Yeah, I want to jump ahead for a second just in like a timeline because you sort of bring up a point about how it just sort of kept growing and growing. Obviously men's football has been huge, it seems like forever from the beginning. And obviously in the US we've had our, our US women's national team with a lot of success. Yeah. In 2015, England women's team, though, it seems like that's where, and maybe I just don't remember prior to that, but it seems like that's where the success of the women's team really grew. And is, I, is that where excitement grew for the sport as well for women's? 
I think it had been growing a little bit before that, but I think that's when it really came to Providence. Um, I think a few of the games were obviously shown on, on TV and, and the women did so well at, or the, 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 the UK or British women did so well at, in that competition that I think it started to be something that was on um, everybody's minds on, on that particular summer. So, you know, and then skip four years later and, and we're doing the same same thing in, in France. And, and that was a fantastic tournament, you know, all round, not just for the UK, but for, but for other countries as well and putting women's football on the map. So, you know, you were getting record audiences coming and record um, fan attendance at, at stadiums. So I think that was... I said the last few years, definitely, there's been a, a massive rise, but it's been a sort of slow progress up until the last few years. Yeah. Yeah, because the international women's game has really grown and there's so many more competitive teams now. Tournaments oh. just are so much more exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't have to look at the strength of the, the French squad, the German squad, um, the Australian squad. Obviously, the US are renowned for, for, for always being a pretty, a pretty much um, a, a world-renowned team. So they're, they're definitely feared in, in the international game. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that, that that last World Cup especially really put a lot of teams on the map. You know, it was Jamaica's first time entering the tournament. So, you know, you, you've got not just the, the greats like the, the you know, like England and, and the USA competing in those tournaments. You've got new entries and, and new countries coming to coming to the forefront in those, those kind of competitions. You know, obviously this is an LGBT sports podcast as well. And so yeah. as you're playing football, you know, and I, I speak from the boy side of things, you know, 12 or 13, you sort of start to notice things are maybe a little bit different and your feelings for teammates are different. How was that for you? And, and can you tell me a little bit about your story? Yeah, of course. So I, um, I think there was definitely a time before 18, 18 is when I sort of officially maybe came out. Um, but definitely before that, I think there were, I was definitely having conversations in my own mind about my sexuality and starting to question that. And I think, you know, prior to prior to eighteen, I think my my friends definitely at least suspected at least, and we started to have discussions around that, and they were absolutely awesome about you know coming out, and they had no issues whatsoever. And and when I eventually did come out with my parents, they were absolutely awesome as well. So I've had quite a good experience with the with the whole coming out situation. And in terms of the, you know the teams that I've played for, I think there's a, a general acceptance, especially in the women's game, that you know, you might have quite a few women on the team or even the majority of women on the team who might be on the LGBTQ plus sphere. So so really it was this this awesome environment for me to be a part of, you know, going through coming out because I always felt very much accepted by my teammates. So, you know, not only did I love football um, as a sport and a, and a passion and a hobby at that time, but it was also a place that I could, you know, go and be around people who were exactly like me who might be having the same kind of struggles and, you know, kind of, that I could identify with. So I very much found it a, a, a lovely, safe space for, for me to be involved in. That's cool. You know, it's funny because the women's game is, it seems like it's so much more accepting from the players, the fans, ownership groups on in like professional teams, and not just with sexuality, but with race as well. But it definitely seems like the fan base is different. It's, it's just more accepting. Yeah, Have I would you definitely agree. That? Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Um, you know, we don't get the kind of fan base that, that the men's teams do. I mean, we we definitely don't see the likes of, you know, 60,000, 70,000 people coming to our games every week. Um, you know, on on occasion, we've, we've seen larger crowds, especially this season where we've um, been able to play at some of the bigger stadiums. And, you know, we've got record attendances of 38,000, 40,000 fans attended. And that's absolutely fantastic. But prior to that, I mean, historically, we'd been seeing... Um, you know, fans of maybe around 800 people, 900 people coming to games. 
Um, and generally, we were finding that the people who were coming to games were very much interested in women's football. They weren't coming to, you know, be horrible or to make chants or anything like that. It was very much a, a quite supportive environment. Um, and I think a lot of the people who were coming to the games were quite family orientated. So we'd see young girls and boys come to the games, um, you know, with their parents. Um, whereas with men, men's football, I think the demographic has historically been quite different in that you have um, the majority of men, adult men, go into games. And I think there's a slightly different atmosphere sometimes at these games than, than would be at the women's games. I don't know what it's going to take to change. I, I, you know, it's, I don't know if it's just time or, or what, but there definitely seem there needs to be a change. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think, you know, with everything that's been happening um, over the past few months and, you know, people being in lockdown and having more time maybe to consider these issues, you know, things like um, the Black Lives Matter um, movement has, has now taken off, I think, because people have been able to, to research and study and, and take time to really look into these issues rather than it just been a, a fleeting moment. Um, and I think the, the same is happening for the, you know, the LGBTQ plus community as well. And I think there is this kind of rise against homophobia and racism going on at the moment. And I think that's fantastic that people are given these big issues um, so much time and attention because it's, it's definitely been a long time coming. So, you know, I'm very much hopeful that clubs um, continue to take this forward and, you know, develop their strategies for, for ways to be more in- inclusive and, and diverse. Yeah, you know, like I told you when we were talking before, you know, I'm a, a white male, 46 years old, grew up in Northern California, and, you know, diversity's been around. My brothers are half Filipino, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've just grown accustomed to to people of all colors around. So it's sad for me to see so many people um, who are racist, who, you know, you had the um, your teammate with the Spurs, who I think was called racial terms on the pitch. Yes, yeah, that was um, one of my, my colleagues a, a couple of years back now, um, Rene. Um, there was a racist incident that happened at one of our games. Um, and obviously that was quite shocking to us because that was the first time, um, well, the first time in my experience, I, I can't speak for any of the other girls, but the first time I'd come across a situation where that happened. And I think the most shocking part of that was that it was it was coming from an, another player on the, on the field. Um, not to say that you'd expect it from a fan at all, because generally our fans have been absolutely awesome. But I think to then receive that kind of abuse from a from a player, you know, someone who's in the same um, shoes as you, who's on the field trying to do a job, um, I think that was a sort of additional element to it. And obviously, I believe the player was was punished by the the league, right? Yeah. So the FA conducted a, an investigation, um, and then they they found. Um, in Rene's favour that the incident had occurred, which was fantastic. Um, and obviously we all had our back on what had happened and we all um, did our best to, to support Rene through that because, uh, you know, she was so brave in, in speaking up and standing out and, you know, and taking a stand against against that kind of thing because, you know, it was it was horrible what happened. And, you know, I give her so much credit for, um, you know, being brave and, and, and standing up and, and saying what she did. I'm thinking about how, like, how we how we deal with this, you know, obviously, I I see it in the U.S. side of things, just with Black Lives Matter and the police brutality and Breonna Taylor and and everybody else who's been victimized and, and killed by police. And you see the the reactions from professional players who are starting to come together. It's no not just Colin Kaepernick in football, but it's all the players, all the colors mm-hmm. of the people. 
you see that, but then you also see stuff like um, Zaha on Palace, who I want to say it was like a month ago, the whole timetable with the um, COVID-19 thing has sort of thrown me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had the, the DM sent to him on, I think, Instagram, maybe Twitter, mm-hmm. one of them. Um, and it was by a 12-year-old boy, I believe. Yeah. And then, you know, USA Hockey for June had a, a pride post. And in it, you see all these young kids who, um, one kid actually who was also about 12 or 13, ended up saying that he would rather be dead than be gay. And you, you I always assume that racism or homophobia happens from older people, the older generations. Mm -hmm. But when you see it from these young kids, I mean, how do you find hope that things will um, get better? It's difficult, I suppose, because I think even though you're finding it, generally speaking, in the older generation, um, and I say that, that, you know, the older generation being my generation really and and above, you know, 30, 40, 50 years and above, you know, these people are, are having kids, obviously. And I suppose if you share those views, then those are obviously potentially going to be views that your kids will then go on to share so I don't necessarily think it's um I think it'd be quite naive to say that that racism will die out um and homophobia will die out because the generations will will come through and um because these the people who share these kind of views are probably going to pass them on to their children so I think it's gonna it's gonna be a problem that regenerates in in a certain respect um I think there's a there's a difficulty with younger kids I suppose um who are you know, because Ian Wright has also suffered the same thing. I mean, he he was sent absolutely abhorrent um, messages by um, lots of different people of, of all ages. He's you know, it's not something that's just been a one-off. It's it's happened quite a lot to him. Oh yeah. Um, and I think it's 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 difficult. I think with children of that age, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen years old, I don't think sometimes they really appreciate the impact of their words. They're just potentially maybe copying what they've heard or repeating things that you know that that might have been that they've seen elsewhere um and I think it's just education it's mostly going to be education um you know and I feel sorry for these kids if they're being brought up with those kind of views already those kind of prejudices because they're they're just going to miss out on so much if you you know cross off certain sections of society and and deem it you know if you I think yeah I just um it's a very sheltered life I suppose um, to be sharing those views at 12, 13 years old, I'd, I'd be very upset for, for that person, that, that child um, who's been brought up to, to share those views. Yeah, it, it's wild. So this past few weeks, I've, I've sort of, with, I guess in July 3rd or 4th, Disney Plus released Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with it the last couple of weeks. And I know what you might be thinking, like my family has already told me, like, welcome to 2016. <laughs> but... But in it, like this week, I've watched a lot of YouTube stuff where the cast is um, just asked questions about, you know, what it meant to them and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. A kid asked the, the cast a, a question that I want to bring to you. What can white allies or white not racist people do to help move this conversation along and help fix and support and just be better? Like, in your opinion, what do you think could be done? I think there's a number of things, really. I think having these discussions, I think, you know, there needs to be an initial appreciation of the fact that there is an issue. I think before this year, you know, where people have had the time to to really give um, their full attention and focus to to these issues, especially Black Lives Matter and and obviously what happened with George Floyd and and Breonna Taylor. And I just think it's, it's been that kind of 
focus, I think, that has led to these discussions opening up. So I think there's one, there's an appreciation that there is, in fact, an issue. Because I think that had flown under the radar, I think, for a lot of people. And maybe people hadn't thought that the issue was as big as it was or, you know, that it didn't happen in their country and it was only elsewhere. And now I think there's a bit more of a, of a realisation and, and an awareness that actually these issues are still prevalent. They're still going on. People are still facing prejudice every day and it might not be in front of you on, on the street it might not be you know a blatantly obvious thing that that happens but it's it's still going on sometimes it's quite a subtle thing it could be at work or it could be the way that someone interacts with someone else and you know there's these microaggressions now that people have become more aware of so I do think it's just that raised awareness I think already which has been fantastic I think having discussions as well with you know, people of colour and asking them about their experiences and how they feel about certain situations. I think that's another thing. Um, you know, calling out behaviour, I think, is a is a third thing. I mean, you know, I, you, I, I would never want to be in a situation where I'm silent if I can see someone else, you know, coming into difficulties because of the colour of their skin or, mm-hmm. you know, for their sexuality or, or any other protected characteristic, whatever it is. Um, so I think calling it out is, is another one. Um, and just education, education, reading good books. I mean, at the moment I'm reading, you know, I haven't read this before and I'm just trying to find the time now in between law and football. I'm reading why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. And that's a, a book that, you know, I'm just hoping to, to really study around um, the topic and find out more for myself about things that maybe I wasn't aware of previously. So even myself as a, as a mixed race person, I'm, I'm still learning about um, things that I've not appreciated before. So I think it's just everyone taking a bit of a, a role and responsibility in it. And I, and I wouldn't want to see everything that's happened over um, COVID then just become a fad and then it just gets forgotten about once normal life resumes. It's, it's still an issue. It still needs to be spoken about and those discussions still need to be had even after, um, you know, post, post-lockdown, post, post this little, this unusual period in the world. Yeah, definitely. Let's move away from the race discussion just because, I, I mean, it's it's an important one, but I also want to make sure we talk about the so many things you have going on in your life. One, you are a driven person. To manage to go to university, be a, a professional goalie for a, a top flight league or a top flight team, but then also have like a full-time job yes. in, in law. I mean... How do you find the time? How do you balance that for like mental health and, and physical health? Um, I think that there's sort of been phases to it, I suppose. So um, last year when I was playing professionally with, with Spurs in the, in the WSL, um, for that year, my law firm granted me a sabbatical. So I was actually off work for, for a year and they were absolutely fantastic in you know, allowing me to go and pursue um, that ambition of mine to go and play professionally so I've only just got back now to, to the office um, for the past three weeks and it's been an absolute whirlwind uh, getting adjusted back to the new systems but <laughs> before that obviously I was juggling um, law with with Spurs you know Spurs were um, part-time we were semi-professional and I was also doing full-time um, in my legal career um, and it was difficult it was really difficult like I, I won't lie to you it was it was exhausting. I was doing, you know, nine to five, nine to six um, at the office, maybe coming in even earlier so I could get some more hours done. And then going home, grabbing a bit of toast before rushing out to to the training ground to, to then go and do two or three hours worth of training and analysis. And then straight back in the next day to the office and, and same again with the training schedule. So, you know, it was absolutely brutal. It was, you know, there were points where I was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted, um, you know, I didn't I didn't really want to 
go out all the time and see friends and that kind of took a bit of a hit because you know I, I just didn't have the the energy really but it was the biggest focus for me during that period was this massive overwhelming feeling that we were going to make history and that promotion was just inches away and that if we just put in this extra effort and if we just had another late night and if we just had another gym session um that we would eventually get to promotion and I definitely wanted to be a part of the squad to um to make that history and and to be able to say that you know I was a I played a part in that so that was my driving force behind you know all the tears and exhaustion um there was a there was a wonderful goal at the end and I'm I'm just very thankful that we pulled it off really because it was it was tight at the end there were only four points in it so um every game mattered um but it was a fantastic year like I, I don't regret any any single part of it but yeah, God, reflecting back on it, it was tough. It was very tough. And that was the the year trying to make it to the WSL, right? Yeah, that was uh, not the last year, just the, the year before, so the 2018-2019 season. And obviously you guys, you guys do make it. What's it like when you do? I mean, are you, you can't really, like, rest, right? Because you have to... It was... Um... It was a, it was again a massive whirlwind. I mean, we just got promoted, or we found out that we were that we'd um, come second to Man United, and then that we were going to have the the promotion into to WSL. But it was a bit of a bittersweet moment, really, because even though we'd achieved this massive thing with the entire squad, and we were so close, we were so tight as a family, um, we didn't know that who was going to be offered a contract. I didn't know that I was going to be offered a contract. I, you know, I. I didn't know whether I'd have that opportunity to actually play at, at WSL. So there was that kind of massive rush and excitement, but also quite a lot of fear that actually I wouldn't be a part of the squad going forward. So, I mean, luckily I was one of the, the ones who, who did then get offered a contract and I was so grateful and thankful for that. And also I I felt like I did deserve it. I mean, everyone on that who worked hard and, and put in minutes and hours and, and sacrifices after sacrifices um, deserved that. Um, but I was obviously fortunate, fortunate enough to, to be able to, to play with the squad going forwards. But then it was the, the kind of practical and logistical issues of, you know, can I get the time off of work? Um, do I play uh, full time and also try and do part time with work? Will they allow that? Will they agree to a sabbatical? Um, and then having to think about where I'm going to move to to be closer to the ground. So, you know, there were all kinds of different sort of logistical issues, I suppose, that sort of went on behind the scenes to... Um, bring us to the moment that that I was able to to start um, preseason in in July. Yeah, and then and then you do all that. You're playing, and then COVID hits, and just it's been a wild few years for you, hasn't it? Yeah, massively. Um, I think the season obviously it was our first season this year um, in the WSL, and you know such a, a big moment for the club really in terms of its step forward. And you know the girls did absolutely fantastically, and you know we finished seventh. Um, in a league that was very competitive, you know, you've got the likes of Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea, who are, you know, massive clubs, not not just in the UK, but but around the world. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got some top flight, um, phenomenal players. So, you know, being able to to compete in that league and also come mid-table, um, you know, in your first year, I think was a fantastic achievement for, for the girls and, and the squad. So, you know, I'm grateful to be a, to have been a part of that. But yeah, slightly gutted that, that obviously it came to, to a, a short end. Um, earlier than expected, but I suppose that's that's the nature of this unusual circumstance. And I think a lot of people were probably disappointed by, you know, the effects of of what's happened. So in the scheme of things, you know, football and sort of pales into significance when you think about the wider picture. Like I said, you're a driven person. You're doing this. You're you're playing football. You're you're working. 
as a lawyer. And then you also announced recently your new role with the Gold Diggers, which you've already been a part of them already, right? Yeah, so I I um I started to work with gold diggers. Um, and actually, can you explain what the gold diggers are for people that might not know? Yes, they're a brilliant uh, women's team um, based down in sorry, based up in uh, North London. Um, and they're specifically, I think they were they were sort of targeting the LGBTQ plus community, but they're open to absolutely everybody. And they're such a fantastic sort of social football team for all ages, all abilities. Um, you know, anyone's welcome. Um, and it's just this fantastic kind of atmosphere around um, the club of, you know, trying to get as many people involved in the sport as possible, whether that's to, to improve, whether that's for fitness, whether that's to, you know, make new friends and, and have, a, have a laugh. Um, and I uh, started working with Gold Diggers back in, I think it was about November, October time. I did a couple of um, goalkeeper sessions with them. because um, so I was working on my um, coaching badges and things like that. And I just wanted to get more experience and, and they looked absolutely awesome. So went down did a few sessions really really enjoyed it um and then agreed to be the uh, the goalkeeper coach for them going forward into this new season so yeah it's been fantastic collaborating with them and, and working with them and, and you know trying to help them um develop and grow as well because they're a really good outfit and then obviously you've signed with crystal palace to play in the yes. women's team they're the next lower level down if i understand correctly yeah, so uh, they're in the championship, um, which is the yeah the the league below um, WSL. I think I saw last week or the week before you guys started training. Yes, yeah, so we've been in um, uh, training now for about two or three weeks. Um, you know, we do the COVID testing and things like that, which is um, not a pleasant experience, but obviously it's just needs must. But yeah, back to training now, and it's been uh, fantastic, really. Um, you know, working with a new team, seeing how they do things. Um, the girls have been absolutely fantastic so welcoming so lovely and everyone just seems very ambitious and very kind of ready and just fighting to, to you know to get out there and, and make a real impact this season so yeah I'm excited is Dean Davenport still a manager yes he is I love Dean he's great you're fitting right in then and you're ready for a season to start yeah absolutely the atmosphere at the club is is so lovely um, everyone's been so welcoming and um, so friendly so you know I'm really excited to to be a part of the club going forwards and you know hopefully help them and, and they'll help me in, in developing as a player so yeah it's going to be an interesting season definitely a very competitive one there's a lot of um, you know good teams who have made some good signings in the championship so I think it's going to be an exciting season. Let me ask you this this might be a little unfair to ask but let's say you know you've retired from your your football career, your, your professional career. Do you think you have a highlight? Like if you had to pick one to really like say, wow, I did this. Is is it fair to ask what that one thing would be? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think today, obviously, a lot of my football experience has been with Spurs. Um, and I have some fantastic memories um, with Spurs and, um, you know, the squads that I've, I've been able to, to work with. So I think my favourite memory of all time has got to be the night that we won promotion into the WSL. Um, we had to play um, Aston Villa and we had to secure a, a draw and we played them at, at their home. So we travelled all the way up there and it was a long day because obviously I'd been at work in the morning and then straight up with the coach to, to go and play. And we only needed that one point to secure promotion. And then we scored first and then they scored an equaliser. I think that was in the second half. And then we basically had to battle for about half an hour just to keep that that draw as it was. And there was loads of 
drama with free like last minute free kicks and you know clearances off the line and um finally the whistle blew and we just all exploded it was just everything that we'd worked hard for in that single moment it just meant everything to us it was just the biggest sense of relief and achievement and just awe at what we'd all achieved so i think that that's without a doubt got to be my um biggest highlight i think of my footballing career to date but you know i've still got a few years left so maybe oh maybe yeah you something have else will come along loads of that. years left for everything so <laughs> <laughs> you know if you can go back to being 12 or 13 years old and you could tell yourself something to help you understand and accept your sexuality easier what's that one thing you could you could tell yourself oh that's such a good question I think it's difficult, I suppose, because I, I wasn't entirely sure that I knew. I don't know whether the, my sexuality was at on my conscience, as on my conscious at that at that point. If it's I easier think, to you to say, you know, there's some twelve or thirteen year old boy or girl who's struggling. What's what's one thing you could tell them? I think to confide in their friends. I think I can understand any um, apprehension about wanting to confide in in parents. I think you, you know, there's always a sense of you know, I'm, I might say something here and. You know, it might not be taken the right way, or they might not have the response that that they wanted. But I think friends, if you've got best friends, if you've got a best friend around you, then confide in them because they'll accept you no matter what. And I think it's it means such a great deal to you to have that kind of weight off your chest. I think by just confiding in that one other person who will then accept you. And I think there's such a big LGBTQ plus community out there. You know, reach out to other people um you know that there are bound to be you know in schools nowadays i mean i don't know what the population of um lgbtq plus you know kids in schools are but there's bound to be you know a few or a handful of kids in in every school that that might be going through the same issues so you know stay strong basically i think it gets a little bit easier as you get older um but be true to yourself don't try and fight it and and uh enjoy it at some point you will learn to enjoy being part of part of the community hopefully awesome chloe thank you so much for taking time on your friday night in london to uh, speak with me no worries it's been great